I think that the nature of a dance dress code can be stressful for a lot of people. Um, I think it's, it's tight in the fact that you're standing in a room full of mirrors in these tight clothes um, can be so stressful. Hello and welcome to Life with Ed, the podcast. I'm Julia Wirth, your host, a registered dietitian in New Haven, Connecticut. And how's everyone doing? Everyone hunkered down in their house, um, fleeing the threat of coronavirus. I know it's um, kind of a crazy time. It's, you know, unprecedented. None of us sort of expected to be spending the beginning of spring you know, shut inside. Um, Although I haven't really been shut inside, but, you know, isolated from other people. And there's a lot of things canceled, like stuff I was looking forward to. I was going to be at um, the USA Track and Field uh, Level 1 Coaching um, Conference in uh, Philadelphia next weekend, and that's canceled. Um, I have a bunch of friends who are going to run races um, throughout you know, the country, and those are all seeming to be canceled. My hometown marathon, the Boston Marathon, is postponed, which is insane. Um, never happened before. So we're all going through a lot. There's a lot going on. Um, I turned 25 and then, you know, the world seemed to (laughs) come to a grinding halt. So I think it's like a quarter life crisis um, lived out by the world. So that's good. I'm glad I brought that upon everyone. Um, This week in uh, celebration of our continued series on eating disorders in sport, I uh, wanted to have the article be about sports and eating disorders. So this is an excerpt from the NCAA's uh, Mind, Body, and Sport Eating Disorders article. It's really a good read. It's a good synopsis of, you know, the positives of sports in college, but also sort of the problems it can bring, as you've seen in different um, interviews on the show. So I'm just going to read a little bit. So it says, participation in sports has a number of positive effects on student-athletes. They tend to live healthier lives than non-athletes, and they gain skills in teamwork, discipline, and decision-making that their non-athlete peers may not. However, some aspects of the sports environment can increase the risk of disordered eating and eating disorders. That means student-athletes and those who oversee athletics must be vigilant to detect signs of trouble. So the idea that a coach, this is me adding, (laughs) if you couldn't tell, a coach shouldn't be aware of disordered eating at any level of sport is is obviously terrifying because it's a place where eating disorders are really common. So back to the article. Disordered eating and eating disorders are related but not always the same. All eating disorders involve disordered eating, but not all disordered eating meets diagnostic criteria for an eating disorder. As first conceived, the term disordered eating was a component of the female athlete triad, a syndrome that also includes decreased bone mineral density, and osteoporosis, and defined as a wide spectrum of harmful and often ineffective eating behaviors used in attempts to lose weight or attain a lean appearance. The term was later supplanted by low energy availability to reflect the role insufficient energy plays in accounting for all physical activity, as well as to fuel normal bodily processes of health, growth, and development. Eating disorders are not simply disorders of eating, but rather conditions characterized by a persistent disturbance of eating or an eating-related behavior that significantly impairs physical health or psychological functioning. So I thought this was just a great dive into sort of how disordered eating and eating disorders can show up in sports. And sports honestly make them more likely to uh, come up. And that's called an environmental factor. 
And today in my interview with Lindsay McGovern, she is a dancer. She owns a dance studio in Winchester, Massachusetts called the Enchanted Dance Academy. I went to high school with her, actually. She is a wonderful, lovely lady. And she had an eating disorder that was really brought out by environmental factors. Um, So you're going to hear her talk about that, how certain circumstances can spark um, an eating disorder that you are might be prone to having, but you don't quite have at that moment. So I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. I haven't had a dancer on, and as someone who danced for 15 years, I think this is a great aspect to talk about, especially when it comes to sports, uh, the aesthetic sports, dancing, gymnastics, figure skating, they are so much more prone to eating disorders. So I know I talk about running all the time because that's my sport right now, Um, but dancing is a place where it's also prevalent. So without further ado, here is Lindsay McGovern. Hello. Hi, Lindsay. Hi. Yeah. So if we could start um, just by telling me a little about yourself and so my listeners know who you are and then um, mm-hmm. how you first got introduced to eating disorders. Yeah. So um, I'm a dancer and a choreographer. I own a dance studio in Winchester. Um, I studied dance in college and I opened the dance studio pretty much right when I graduated, um, which was kind of just a leap of faith. Yeah. I've been dancing forever. Um, and playing sports. I played softball when I was younger as well, um, and I did cheerleading for a little while. So I've always been super active, but my um, history with eating disorders started in high school. I developed an eating disorder in 10th grade, and then I still struggle to this day sometimes. Um, But I would say most of my recovery work was done my freshman year of college. I ended up leaving school halfway through first semester, um, of my freshman year, and I went into a uh, treatment facility, which was like the best thing to ever happen to me. Um, and when I came out, I went back to school and finished my degree on time and everything. And I think since then, I've just had like a different perspective on eating disorders and recovery in general. And, you know, it hasn't been perfect since then, but I'm able to sort of look at it from a different perspective and with a healthier mindset for sure. Awesome. Yeah. So you said when you got to college, you sort of hit a place where you knew you had to get treatment. What was that turning point for you? Yeah. um, So I think I, something inside of me knew like the summer came up to college that somehow some part of me wasn't quite ready to go. Um, I wasn't perfectly happy with the school that I ended up deciding on. I sort of felt like I, I still wasn't sure what the best program would be for me mm-hmm. and um I felt sort of not not forced nobody forced me to go anywhere but I I almost felt like I I forced myself into the program that I ended up at and there was dance involved in it but it was more of a business program and when I got there it was kind of a perfect blend of like not really vibing with what I understood that the program was going to end up being by the time I got there and not being able to dance as much as I wanted to. And then on top of it, having a lot of anxiety about leaving home. And I definitely wasn't quite ready to do that at that point in my life. Mm -hmm. But that's not something I I think I would have known until I tried it. And so all of those, um, I later learned, are like environmental factors that contribute to the onset of eating disorder symptoms. And that's exactly what they were. It was kind of just like the perfect storm, and um, and my 
you know, eating disorder symptoms got a lot worse when I got to college. I would say I was stable over the summer, and it, it had just been kind of off and on in high school, and my primary care pediatrician was kind of on top of it, and my parents were involved, but it was under control, I would say, and then it just, by the time, you know, once I was living on my own, I think it was just a lot harder to um, stay stable. So yeah, or I manage it. To, yeah. yeah, exactly. I reached out to... Um, some of the different services that that college had and was in touch with my parents and they were in touch with those health services, which was really cool. Um, and within like two weeks, we all just kind of collaboratively decided that I needed to take some time and just left it open-ended on whether I'd be back for the spring semester. Um, but that, yeah, just kind of the breaking point, I think, for me was just realizing like I, you know, I'm alone at, at the school without my family and support yeah. system and I definitely can't can't pretend to be able to handle this when I know that I can't. Right. And that's that's interesting because I see that a lot with like clients that I work with. You know, like maybe you're managing okay with some supports around you and then some of those supports go away and suddenly it's like, oh I it's a lot worse than I ever thought it was. Right, exactly. I think that's exactly what happened too. It, it was I wouldn't have even known until I got there and I was on my own. Yeah. So it's interesting for me that sort of like when you took a step back from dancing and you went there, um, your issues got quite a bit worse. Yeah. Um, so do you think that dance for you is more of a, a help in eating disorders or was there ever a feeling that because of dancing or the culture around dancing, you were you know, more conscious about your body or how you looked? Well, so it's interesting. In high school, I remember my mom saying I, there was a point in time um, when I decided, I decided not to play softball. I forget what year it was, but, um, so I was dancing, but, and then after the recital, everything kind of died down. Mm-hmm. And I remember my mom saying like that she was worried because I, she felt like I always ate better when I was active and we didn't have a lot of information yet about what I was struggling with. So the language was much simpler back then right. use around it, <laughs> yeah. but she was always, she was just like, I feel like you eat better when you're active. And I think it's, true for me when I was younger and even now because it just adds um, a little structure to my schedule and I think that I definitely do better with the routine. So for me being able to, you know, eat intuitively and just make sure that I'm getting enough nutrition always comes easier when I'm busy. So that's part of it. But then I think also now like as an adult and after graduating from a dance program in college and having a more um, mature understanding of what dance is, I can definitely say that it's more of a release for me emotionally. And, um, you know, I make a conscious effort to check in with myself and make sure that it's not becoming a trigger and mm-hmm. that it, it remains, you know, just like a source of release and um, something that makes me happier. So I think now for sure it's not a trigger or a stressor for me. Um, I think growing up, it, I I still wouldn't even have called it that. I think that there were, you know, there are parts of dance in, in a dance studio environment that inherently can be stressful for somebody with, um, you know, with body image issues and a predisposition to eating disorders. I think there's so many things about, you know, any kind of sports team environment yeah. or dance studio environment that are just, you know, tough. And I I think that, Back then, while it wasn't for sure the cause of anything, 
I think that if I was more in tune with myself and understood it a little bit better, I would have been able to kind of navigate it better. Right. So growing up, you know, dancing in a studio and then going to college and dancing, did you notice anyone or any of your fellow dancers having trouble or did you notice that a culture was kind of odd around how people looked at their body or did it seem like positive for you? Um, growing up when I was younger, I think, um, my, you know, my dance teacher was so professional and did such a nice job of making sure the focus was always just on class. So there wasn't a lot of time for me to really like notice a lot going on unless it was like in my, um, like immediate personal social right. circle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I didn't notice much besides me and I felt, um, I felt like even with me, what was really cool about my dance studio is that I was struggling a lot and I, I do think it was kind of clear. I know my mom was a little bit open with my dance studio owner as well, yet somehow there was not a lot of conversation about it like among the kids around me or her and in class. And I think that that's a good thing because yeah. sometimes it's like you need to make sure that the, the you know dancers who might be struggling get the support they need, which I had with my parents and the people that were in the loop but sometimes too much discussion about it and like attention on it can be more damaging um Mm -hmm. and I think for me it was a really nice balance um so I didn't notice a lot and I think that if I did it would have been more triggering for me right um so I I appreciate that I didn't have a lot of time to look around and compare myself to others because that happens no matter what. So yeah. if there's extra time to do that, then it's going to be even worse. Um, but I think in college, the environment for me was so much better. I didn't go to a conservatory program. Right. Um, I went to a modern dance program, essentially. Um, and the professors there are just, they have such wonderful um, approaches to dance. And I think that you know, had I been in more of a conservatory style program where the general desired outcome among the students was to end up in like a professional ballet company, um, I think that the environment would have been much tougher for me. But my focus in my program was more on choreography and um, artistry. And not that that's better or anything, but for me personally, I think that it was a better environment. Yeah. Yeah, I I think so. Yeah, as you know, like I danced growing up too, and yeah. I definitely noticed like in the studio, it was not you know as big an issue. Like there were people all different shapes and sizes. No one cared. Like you know, mm-hmm. um, I think sometimes there would be some like, oh well, the you know the girls who are larger always get put in the back um, sort of feeling, but it was right. not not like a. Not like necessarily a, a body shaming feeling, but it, it did. You did notice it if you were like a, a taller person. Right. Um, right. Which is something I definitely experienced there and, and feeling upset. But I'd never thought about wanting to be thinner per se until I went to some of those more, I guess, competitive classes um, at other studios, uh, like at Boston Ballet and a few others, and and just being like, oh wow, like <laughs> there's a lot of focus on exactly how I look and looking the same as everyone. Right, right. Um, it's, yeah, it becomes very stressful. Yeah. 
So in your studio that you own now, um, is there anything that you do to try to make sure there is a positive environment around body image or, um, you know, how, how everyone feels about their body? Yeah. So there's a lot of things that, um, that I end up doing throughout the year. I think the biggest thing, um, that I try to make sure is done and made clear to the kids and the parents is like around costume measurements. Mm-hmm. And oh yeah, like man, that was the, the worst. <laughs> yeah. And it's, there's like no easy way to do it. And the thing is looking back, like it was really stressful for me, but at the same time, there's nothing that my dance teacher probably could have done differently to make it easier. Right. She wasn't, you know, yelling the numbers out. She did everything the, really the same way that I do it now. But it's just stressful. It is, like, by nature. It's yeah. stressful for somebody that doesn't like their size. Or even, I didn't always not like my size. For me, it was more just like a hyper-focus on it. And then when I got to high school, I didn't want to grow as like, Right. I was, like, I was stressed out about about how, like, you know, maybe I wouldn't forever be the smallest or whatever it was for me, you know, um, that I've worked through in therapy. But, like, I, you know... I just feel like there wasn't anything different that she could have done, but it is a stressful time for me. So for me, I make sure that, you know, when I measure the kids, it's quick. It's a really fast process. I don't involve anybody else, so it takes a little bit longer than maybe it could. You know, it might not be the most efficient time-wise, but I take the measurement and write it down myself so that I don't have to say it out loud to somebody and write it down. Um, And I make sure that, you know, there's, Usually, especially with the little kids, another assistant in the room with me so that they can um, occupy the rest of the group while I'm measuring one person so that I, you know, the rest of the group has something to do. Everybody's distracted. Um, And especially with the little kids, I make sure that whatever I'm writing it down on is, you know, far away from them because they're they're just curious. And that's where it starts. They're like, oh, like... Why is mine smaller than everybody else's? Like, right. they, you know what I mean? Or they'll yeah. go back to the group and say, like, I, she wrote down 24, whatever it is. And, yeah. um, and I just, I try to just eliminate conversation about it all together. And when I do hear comments, you know, following cost of measurements and stuff, I'll, I'll just dismiss them. And I'll say, like, well, it doesn't matter. And I'll, you know, I don't lie, but sometimes I say, you know, like, the, the costume sizes are a little funky. It really depends on how long your torso is, which has mm-hmm. nothing to do with how tall you even are. Because it's true, you know? Right. Like I'm, I'm a pretty short person, but sometimes my leotard size bigger than I think it's going to be because I have a really long torso. Yeah. Um, so it's costume measurements are tricky. I Basically, you know, I have a pretty specific system that I use, but my advice in general teachers is to just keep it quick, Make sure the kids, they don't need to know their numbers, you know? Yeah. And if they ask, I guess you can tell them, but, like, it's not, they don't need to know it. Nobody needs to know. Um, and they definitely don't need to know anybody else's. And right. That's, that's the big thing. So as long as they feel like they went through getting measured for costumes without it being a big deal, that's the goal for me. Um, and then when I hand out the costumes, I make sure that I take them out of the bag so that the size and broadcast it on the bag. I put it on a hanger, you know, size the size the costume, but that's fine. Their hanger is labeled with their name, so I don't have to like look at the size and be like, oh, this is a small. He's a small, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's exactly um, how ours was. Like, I just remember it was like, oh, if you got a like small like lineup over here, if you're like this size, and I was like, I don't, <laughs> I don't even know which one yeah. I am, and it was like, you right. know, you're the awkward like 
tall person but in the class. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, so that's kind of how I handle that. And then in general, like just navigating, um, you know, negative body image talk. If I hear any comments from the kids, I try to just dismiss it with something simple like, oh, we don't like, let's not talk like that here. Everybody's beautiful or whatever. And then if I notice that it persists, that's when I might invite a more, you know, private conversation with one of them. And then dress code is the other big thing for me. I think that that was the one thing. I go back and forth even to this day, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like my policy as it is now, I could make changes to it as I move forward. But I think that was the one thing growing up. And again, my dance teacher did everything she possibly could to create a healthy environment. And I do think that the development of my eating disorder was inside of me. Right. There are things that if I knew now with my perspective that I could have done for myself to make life a little easier. I think that... um, you know, I have a dress code for my dancers, and I, it's especially important for the younger dancers because uniform is valuable in any sport. You know, you put on your clothes for that activity, and then it just puts you in the right mindset of, like, I'm going to dance class. I have to follow the rules of dance class. Right. It really, it helps with structure and order as well. But that being said, I think that the nature of a dance dress code can be stressful for a lot of people. Um, I think it's it's tight in the fact that you're standing in a room full of mirrors in these tight clothes um, can be so stressful. So I try to offer uh, modifications when I feel like they're necessary. This year I created some sweatshirts with my studio's logo on it that are the same color as the different dress codes. So like the pre-K kids who are in light pink, there's like a light pink sweatshirt option. So that, A, if they're cold, they have something that's appropriate to put on over it. Right. They feel like they're still in the right um, outfit or dance class, but they might feel a little bit more comfortable having an extra layer on. Um, and it's just an option, you know? So, and then the older kids, I, I have a policy with them. We had a sit down talk this year. I was like, I don't want you coming to dance uncomfortable, but you have to come to dance in clothes that you doesn't need for dance. They need to be, you know, workout clothes, dance clothes, yoga clothes, and whatever you're comfortable in is okay with me, but you have to be respectful of the fact that this is this is a dance studio. So you need to look like a dancer, but whatever that means for you and however you need to do that to be comfortable is okay with me. Yeah. So that's my policy with them. But it's it's not going to work for every studio, you know, and I, I get that. But I think that's the other big area where, you know, insecurities develop. For sure. Like, I remember we had a really strict dance, um, like, uniform, I guess, like, dress code. And then, like, when you got to high school, like, kind of relaxed a little bit. Because mm-hmm. maybe they were like, oh, we trust you, whatever. And then girls would start wearing like shirts and different things like over their yeah. <laughs> leotards, um, not in ballet, but like in jazz or tap or whatever. And yeah, that to me was like, oh, wow, like I don't have like the right shirt or the cool enough like thing for this, um, which was definitely like more challenging than when we were all just the same. Yeah, exactly. It gets really tricky, really tricky. It becomes a fashion show. <laughs> yeah, yes, a little bit of a fashion show. Um, is there anything else that you think would be important for someone to understand about like the culture of dance or like the the way um, you know you you're in a profession where your body is like the center of your profession and how do you how do you manage that with a history of disordered eating? Yeah, I think you know just for I mean for kids being able to normalize 
you know, food. I, I don't hide when I have to eat. Um, you know, sometimes I'm teaching for six or seven hours in a row and right. I don't have a break. So I try not to hide, you know, what I'm eating. And I, I try to be a good role model for them. Sometimes they'll see me eating a salad with tofu on it. And sometimes they'll see me eating, um, you know, fast food. And I, I, to me, that's something that's important in my recovery is to be able to eat both. Right, um, definitely. In both extremes. And that's something that I challenge myself on. And, um, you know, they don't have to eat just like me, but just continuing for their, for their sake to be a good role model with how I'm eating and, um, and making sure that they know that, that their food and what they take into their body has nothing to do with their value as a dancer. Um, that's something that I try to, to, to drive home with them. And then also I just think, um, being aware of, you know, various things that can contribute to insecurities and developing insecurities in, in those dancers and not even in young dancers only. It's also like I dance in a couple different contemporary and modern um, companies. And so I'm still dancing alongside people my own age. And I think it's just, you know, conversations can still happen. Yeah, now for sure. As adults. <laughs> yeah. And almost in more too. in some ways. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because you don't have anybody to monitor it, you know? Like there's an adult in the room when you're younger saying, okay, no, we're done talking about that. But sometimes it's harder when you're with your social circle because you can't just, and I've dealt with it so much. I, I can't just say like, okay, I don't want to have this conversation anymore. You know, yeah. it feels really rude. So I have to figure out ways to, to be able to participate in those conversations or not even participate, but just tolerate them. Mm-hmm. If it's about diet or, you know, weight loss or whatever it is that's, really still triggering for me and be able to, you know, sit there and, and take it in and tell myself this isn't going to affect you negatively. You're still in recovery. Yeah. And, um, I think just in general, being aware of the the possible things that could stress somebody out, you know, there's so many things in society now that we're trying to be more aware of and, um, and just handle correctly. And I think this has to be one of them too. And yeah. um, I, tr- I try to advocate for it because we think it's a, an issue that used to be so taboo. And now I think it's, you know, in general, there's so much more conversation about it, which is amazing. And I think it just needs to continue because the more that we acknowledge the things that can be stressful, the less that they'll continue to, um, you know, have a negative effect on growing dancers and, and professional dancers, too. Right. Do you think that there is like an awareness and like a, a conversation going on in the like adult community around eating disorders in dance or is it not quite there yet? I don't think it's there yet. I, I would hope it's kind it of is. how I felt um, too. Yeah. Yeah. I would hope it is. I don't have a lot of experience in, um, or any really in professional ballet. So I can't speak as much to that environment. Um, but I think, you know, it's, it stinks because once you turn 18 and you're an adult, I feel like it's almost, you know, people expect you to, if you have an issue that you're working out, you're going to work it out. And if it's relevant to bring up in the environment, whether it's a college class or your professional company, then you'll bring it up. You know what I mean? I feel yeah. like there's less um, tendencies for 
you know, peers or teachers or whatever, once you've reached adulthood, to reach out and be like, hey, are you okay? And I'm not saying it doesn't happen. It definitely does. But I think there's a little bit more um, accountability, like, that's expected. And I I definitely felt like once I became an adult, it's my job to advocate for myself if I was struggling. Whereas in high school, everybody was at my butt all the time. And you're like, are you okay? Why aren't you eating? Did you eat dinner? And then once I turned an adult, it was like, I had to make all these decisions of like, is this a healthy environment for me? Is this going okay? Am I okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's, it is what it is, but I think that there could definitely be a little bit more support around it in the world of adult dance because it's still so relevant. I yeah. mean, I have done so much work in recovery, yet I still struggle. So, I mean, that says it right there. Right. But it's yeah. still so relevant. I guess what I was thinking is like, so I am, you know, mostly a runner now and in the running community like it is so talked about just constantly because it affects so many runners and I think like for a long time it wasn't discussed at all and you'd just kind of like be injured and you'd beat out or you'd be in like treatment and no one would know and it would just be like this oh she's just gone for a little bit you know and yeah now everyone really does or at least a lot of people really do talk about it and more at the professional and um, like adult runner level than at the kid level or like the high school level so it's kind of like reverse of what you're saying where like in high school it felt like no one even said anything or it was just like normal if you got stress fractures or lost your period or whatever but as an adult everyone is like oh no this is an issue let's talk about it like make sure people are aware um, but dance right. almost seems like the reverse is going on. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, it makes me think, and I hope that this isn't the case, but it makes me fear that the reason there's less conversation with the adult dance community is because, you know, it gets swept under the rug, like, oh, well, they'll figure it out. And it's like, you know, they don't maybe, you know, whoever's sweeping it under the rug doesn't want to bring attention to the fact that eating disorders are prevalent in the dance world. Yeah, and that would be really disappointing because I've done so much research um, on how dance isn't the cause of disorder. It right. can be, like I said earlier, it's an environmental stressor for a lot of people, for sure. Mm-hmm. And those are the things that I try to prevent at my dance studio. And, you know, the things that I've been talking about today are all ways that we can prevent it from becoming an environmental stressor. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely not the cause. You no, know, for sure, for sure. huge genetic component of eating disorders, and I think for for them to get swept under the rug in the community is really, you know, damaging because it's not the cause, and it won't damage the yeah you know, the ballet community or whatever whatever community it is. But it's um it's so important because you know th- these dancers who are struggling could be so much better and more passionate, right? If they <laughs> had the energy, the they needed. yeah, yeah, and have the energy. Yeah, I think, yeah, I'm really glad you said it in that way, because the same is true in pretty much any sport. You know, if you Mm -hmm. are, um, you know, properly fueling yourself, it doesn't matter what size your body is, you're going to be a better athlete uh, and be able to do whatever you're trying to do better um, than if you're restricting or having other behaviors that damage your body, then you're not going to be able to perform in any way. Right. Right. I think another important thing, too, is 
you know, with, I mean, it starts at, you know, with your classes of kids. And I think making sure that they have role models that, you know, embody all of this that we're talking about is Mm -hmm. really important. I think, you know, in the same way that we're talking about all different kinds of people who look like every certain way being represented with fictional TV characters and on reality TV and all that, you know, every body type needs to be represented in dance, too. Right. For kids to feel like there's not one ideal dancer body. So that's another thing I try to make sure. I have an amazing staff of instructors at my studio, and we all, you know, not necessarily on this specific schedule, but just in our life and in our qualifications, we all teach everything because, you know, there's not, I don't have one teacher who only teaches ballet because for that one reason, I don't want my kids who are five, six years old and impressionable to start to think that that's the only way to look like a ballerina. Right. So, like and that one teacher. little things like yeah. that that you wouldn't even know can contribute to these kind of mindsets that will eventually, you know, develop in these kids. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk to me and um, bring more information about dance uh, to the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think this is an amazing topic to cover. So I'm really admiring this. Oh, good. Um, I have one last question I ask every guest who's on the show. And it's, yeah. um, what is your favorite food? My favorite food? Yeah. <laughs> I think, honestly, I mean, my... My favorite food that I tell everybody is red grapes. I really like red grapes. Oh, wow. They're, okay. But I think that... <laughs> That's a good um, one. I know. I know. But I think lately my favorite food has been a bagel of soup. Oh. Red grapes are like my all. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a specific favorite type of bagel? Uh, it depends where I'm getting it from. Um, you know, our hometown bagel world. I yeah. If I were to get a bagel world bagel, it would be French toast. With cream cheese. Oh, those are really can, good. <laughs> yeah, really good. The one that I can count on anywhere, though, would be an everything table for sure. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much and have a great rest of your day. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show and keep the message spreading about eating disorders and recovery. If you have any questions, please send them to Worth Your Wild Nutrition. That's W-E-R-T-H, Your Wild Nutrition at gmail.com. If you have any suggestions or guests you'd like on the show, I'd love to hear from you. I hope you all stay safe and healthy this week and, you know, have a great time. Bye.